this week on Hope for the Broken. You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. There's no possible way that even the best 15 minutes of my life, the most holy 15 minutes of my life warrant heaven. We owed a debt that was never going to be paid back, but Jesus paid the debt that he did not owe. Salvation is not found in our doing. It's found in our receiving of what has already been done. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitydtx.org. This week, we continue our series called Made New. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three titled, A New Life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. A couple of weeks ago, we started a summer teaching series where we're working our way through uh, the New Testament book of Ephesians. And one of the major themes in the book of Ephesians is this concept of being made new. That in Christ, and in fact, that many, so many times does Paul mention that in the first chapter, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we are made new. And we talked about in the first week that we have a new identity in Christ. Last week, we talked about how we have a new focus uh, in and through the vehicle of prayer, the tool of prayer. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that we have new life in Christ. And so we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 as we take a look at what this new life in Christ, how it is made possible, and how uh, we can live, live in it. Uh, about a year ago, um, we were away, uh, most of our family were away at a baseball game, and uh, my daughter Carson was still in town, and she called us. And she said, hey, Dad, the car broke down. It won't start. And luckily, we had a friend of ours that had happened upon her and tried feverishly to get it started, but to to no avail. And she was just at Delwood uh, Park, and we live in that area. And so she was able just to walk home and be safe. And I said, just leave the car, and I'll look at it in the morning. Well, the next morning I got up and I went to that car and I was able to get it started by the grace of God. And I drove it uh, to gingerly to the mechanic. And as soon as I pulled into the bay, the mechanic goes, that's not good. Because see, whenever I got it started, it wasn't just making a little noise. It was making a clanging noise in the engine. Like something was not just rattling, something was broken. And he said, that's not good, and it's going to need a new engine. Now, this car has been paid for for a little bit, and so the thought crosses my mind. For those of you that have been there, by the way, you feel the weight, right, of, of that statement, and you're going, is this car even worth uh, investing in a new engine, or do we just, you know, cut our losses and move on? And so he said, well, let me, let me check through a couple of things and I'll call you back in a little bit. So I got a ride. I went on into, uh, into the office here and about two hours later, uh, the mechanic called and he says, I think I have some good news for you. Uh, 
this particular issue, what's wrong with your engine, is covered under a recall from Hyundai. You should call Hyundai and find out if it fits. So I called Hyundai, and sure enough, guess what? It fit. And not only were they going to fix it, they were going to give me a brand new engine. I was like, holy cow, I was fist pumping the air. Like I was having a party in my office and, and man, that's just the grace of God. And so, so we carried it down there and, and the service manager there, he said, he said, Chris, he said, if I'm you, I would replace all the hoses and all the belts since we're doing this, since we're going to be in there. And I was like, well, how much does that cost? $250. And I'm like, deal. So for $250, we essentially got a brand new car. Uh, why do I tell you that story? Well, just like that car was resurrected, was made new, in Christ we too are made new. And Paul tells us how we are made new and the power that is available and the reality of what we were beforehand and what Jesus has done for us and it ought to enthuse our worship. So today I want to talk to you guys about what I believe Paul teaches about, which is four steps to a new life. Four steps to a new life. Those steps being that we need to realize the problem. We need to recognize the solution. We need to receive the action. And we need to respond to the outcome. That will serve as our outline this morning as we dive into the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. And so let's begin by looking at the first step to a new life, to realize the problem. You read along in your copy of God's Word as we read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, it's been said that the first step to overcoming an addiction is to admit that you have a problem. Well, while we might not have an addiction, we certainly have a problem. And Paul gets right to the point here in highlighting our problem. He wants us to recognize that we face not just a difficulty, we have a major problem. He says in verse 1 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He doesn't say that we're struggling. He doesn't say that we're drowning he doesn't say that we're having a difficult time. No, he says the reality of us in our sin and our trespasses is that we are dead. But then in verse 3, as if that were not bad news enough, he says that because of all of this, we then are children of wrath. So you are dead and you are an object. I am dead and I am an object of God's wrath. Why? because of our trespasses and sins. Now, I find it interesting that Paul uses both of those words, trespasses and sins. Trespass is used in the Bible 106 times, and sins is used, or its equivalent, used over 400 times in the pages of Scripture. 
Now, we understand those two words to be synonyms, don't we? To commit a trespass is to sin, and to sin is to trespass against God. And so the question then becomes, is Paul just repeating words or using synonyms for emphasis, or is he being extremely intentional in using these words? I tend to think that when the Holy Spirit is under the direction of these authors, that it's very intentional. It's not by happenstance that he uses both of these words. So what is it that Paul could be getting at by saying that we are dead in our trespasses and sins? Well, to me, trespass is an action. When you trespass someone's property, you are committing an offense against that person's property, right? So it's an action. A trespass is an action taken. Whereas sin, yes, trespass is a sin, but I think when he says that we are dead in our sins, he's talking more from a holistic standpoint here. I think he's saying that we are by nature sinful human beings. That's who we are. So in other words, and this is the key point, in other words, it's not that we do sinful things and that makes us sinners. No, we are sinners and therefore we do sinful things. Paul is trying to say, this is your nature. This is is who we are. Apart from Christ, therefore we are dead in the trespasses and sins and we are the rightful objects of a holy God's wrath. Now, when we read that, that's not comfortable, is it? It's not something where we say, oh, I want to hear more of that. And what we do is we have this tendency to detach ourselves from this very verse. Well, Paul can't be talking about me, right? I mean, I mean I'm not that bad of a person, right? And, and we have this tendency to, to separate us. But before we think that we are separated from this, look at the words Paul uses. In verse 2, he says, in which you once walked. And then again in verse 3, among whom we all once lived. Consider this in light of Paul's other teachings. In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And just a few verses earlier, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, None is righteous, no, not one. But we have this tendency to think, well, Paul can't be talking about me. Right? Paul can't be talking about, I mean, he's talking about heinous people, right? Because it's, not, it's a little extreme to be the object of God's wrath whenever I haven't done anything really all that bad. Sure, maybe I've told a lie, but I'm not a terrorist, a murderer, or a pedophile. I'm a decent person. I, I help my neighbor, and, and I'm a rule keeper. But here's the problem with that. We have somehow gotten to a point where we are more comfortable with some sins than we are others. Listen, sin is sin, period, regardless of the offense. And though there may be differing earthly consequences for sin, like I understand that, sin, even the smallest of sins in our view, is an offense against a holy God. Scripture only has one definition. You're either a sinner or you're redeemed. There's no in-between. There's no good sinners or really bad sinners. (laughs) No, we are sinful. And before we go too far down the road of somehow valuing certain sins differently, 
I want to remind you of two people in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, they're named Ananias and Sapphira. You guys remember what happened to them? Their lives were demanded of them. And for what? A lie. Told a lie. My point is that though there are differing consequences from an earthly perspective, from a heavenly perspective, sin is sin is sin. And here's the deal that I want you to learn from this. From a biblical perspective, the heinousness of our sin, of my sin, is not gauged by what I do, but rather by whom I offend. So to lie is just as a heinous offense to a holy, perfect, righteous, almighty God as it is to commit murder. I stand before God guilty. You stand before God guilty. But yet some in our culture have supposed or believed that, well, I'm a good enough person. I mean, I'm not a terrible person, so somehow God is going to accept me because I'm not that bad of a person. I heard one pastor say to that, that the lie of people being good enough for heaven is the modern day equivalent of Satan deceiving Adam and Eve in the garden. The truth is, the Bible says, for all have sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. And therefore, we are damaged and destroyed by our sin. We are utterly depraved, disobedient, and doomed to eternal life separated from God in a real place called hell. Why is it important for us to come to the realization of this problem? Well, apart from realizing the problem, you and I would never need and understand our need for a Savior. And so Paul wants us to grab a hold of that. We grab a hold of our condition prior to Christ and we embrace the reality of who we are. We realize our problem. And that leads us to step number two into a new life. And that is to recognize the solution. We understand the problem. Step two, we recognize the solution. Look at, uh, back at verse four. Uh, the two most powerful words in the Bible begin verse four. But God, it's amazing. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were hopeless and helpless in that state. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We all face a massive problem, but God, don't you love that? God interrupts the story. We're destined for doom, but God shows up and he does so because of his love for us but i want you to notice how jesus flips the script jesus changes everything we go from being dead in trespasses and sin to alive with christ 
We go from being disobedient, sons of disobedience, to being raised up with Christ. And we move from people who are doomed for destruction, children of the wrath of God, to being seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. We need to recognize the solution, and the solution is a person. The solution is Jesus Christ. We were dead, but God in Christ made us alive, seated us with him. Jesus and going to the cross flipped every problem we have. And the motive for God doing this is in verse 4. Being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us. Listen, God is glorified in showing us mercy, which comes as a result of his great love for us. And listen, when you and I can understand the mercy of God, it does two things in us. It makes us more appreciative of God and leads us to worship him wholeheartedly. But number two, It allows us to be people of mercy towards other people. James says that mercy triumphs judgment. And God's mercy shows his goodness and his love for you. You might be here today and you might say, well, Pastor Chris, you don't know what I've done. I have committed the most heinous of acts, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter because we were all dead, but God, because he loves you. You are loved immensely by this amazing, almighty God. Now Paul, in verses 4 through 7, he uses two words. He uses the word mercy and the word grace. And while these two words are closely related, they're very different in what they mean. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve what do we deserve because of our sin death we deserve death but we live daily in God's mercy because he doesn't give us what we deserve how do we get what we don't deserve well God in his great love and his grace he gives us salvation mercy involves not getting what we deserve grace involves receiving what we don't deserve. Let me see if I can illustrate these two words for you. I have been known on occasion to have a lead foot, right? And like when the speed limit says 70, it's really 75. You know what I mean? Anybody else here? I mean, I mean, be careful. We got a state highway patrolman in the audience today and he's going to be running his radar out of here. I love you, Brad. But I've been known to have a lead foot, right? And I've been pulled over on occasion for, for speeding. And I have been blessed in that the majority of the time I receive a warning, right? Kathy, my wife, on the other hand, when she speeds, she always gets a ticket. She doesn't understand it. And I tell her, you just got to be good looking, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that never goes over well um, because she's far better looking than me. I'm realizing now how this is sounding. But anyway, I digress. So uh, the officer, when they pull me over and they say, uh, you know, I'm just going to give you a warning today, that is mercy. Okay? What do I deserve in that situation? I deserve a ticket. I committed the offense. 
I, I violated the law. I deserve a ticket. But the officer in giving me a warning is showing mercy. Now, let me tell you what grace would be. Grace would be the officer pulling me over and saying, well, Chris, not only am I going to just give you a warning, but I'm going to reimburse you for all traffic violations you've ever paid. I've got my checkbook out and tell me, what's that number exactly? That's grace. And by the way, don't ever expect that to happen. Am I right? Okay. But do you see the difference in mercy and in grace? And Paul says... He uses both of them here. Not only is God a merciful God, but God is a gracious God. He says that God is rich in mercies. In fact, He's so rich that the Bible says that His mercies are new every single morning. God is rich in mercy. But not only is He rich in mercy, Paul goes on to say He also, verse 7, has immeasurable riches of grace. Isn't that good? We in no way, shape, or form deserve the mercy or the grace of God, yet He gives it freely. Now let me tell you something. God is a holy, perfect, and just God. And He can't just look over sin, for to look over a trespass is to no longer be just. Right? Justice is to bring punishment to offense. That is true justice. So if God just glances over sin, he ceases to be just. So how does God become rich in mercy? How does God become rich in grace? Well, the wrath that it was rightly ours was poured out on Jesus at the cross. That's how you get grace and how you get mercy. That's how I get grace and how I get mercy. Grace and mercy were not free. It's freely given, but they weren't free. It required the cross. It required the crucifixion of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, one of my favorite verses, says it perfectly. It says, for our sake, that's mercy, he being God made him be Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Well, how did God do that? At the cross. Why? So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is, we receive the righteousness of God, and that, my friends, is grace. The mercy of God, fueled by his love for you and me, demonstrated grace by putting Jesus on the cross instead of putting you and I on the cross. And so Paul says we need to realize the problem so that we can recognize the solution. The third step to a new life is to receive the action. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace, there's that word again, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, when I say that we must receive the action, what I mean is that the active agent in salvation is God. It's not you and me. We do nothing. But by faith, we receive the action that was uh, given on our behalf. Freely given, freely received through the vehicle of faith in Jesus as Lord. Now, prior to new life in Christ, Paul says what? We were dead. What do dead people do? What can dead people do? Nothing. 
You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. There's no possible way that even the best 15 minutes of my life, the most holy 15 minutes of my life warrant heaven. Because the Bible says even our good deeds are but filthy rags before a holy God. And so so we were dead. We can't do anything. We owed a debt that was never going to be paid back, kind of like the U.S. government. But I digress. But Jesus paid the debt that he did not owe. Salvation is not found in our doing. It's found in our receiving of what has already been done. That's the difference between Christianity and all other world religions. All other world religions are saying you got to do, 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 do in order to get the, the forgiveness of their God. But Jesus says, no, it's already done. Paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. But by faith, we receive salvation. Let me see if I can explain it this way. How many of you have ever been on an airplane, a commercial airplane? Okay, vast majority of you. Did you know that every time you step foot on an airplane, you put your faith in that machine and in that pilot? I mean, I don't know the pilot. And I don't understand how something that weighs, I don't know, a billion pounds flies through the air at warp speed. I don't get that, right? But even, let's say you did. Let's say you understood the aerodynamics and you understood wind speed and you understood lift and all of those things. Until you and I are ready to sit in the seat on an airplane, we don't believe airplanes can fly. Right? Like I know people who are terrified to fly. They won't fly. But yet they hear the testimonies of other people. They see the evidence that is out there that it's actually what's safer to fly than it is to drive. Is that, is that the right things I've seen? So even though you know all of the evidence and you've heard the testimonies, there are still people that won't fly. Why? Because they lack faith. The same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. You may know a whole lot about God. You may hear the testimonies of life changed in Jesus Christ, but until you are ready to sit in the seat that is Jesus and to rest fully upon him, you do not have faith in Jesus as Lord. And if you do not have faith in Jesus as Lord, friends, you are still in, dead in your trespasses and sin. And so you see the un, and understand the, what faith is. We must place faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life. So we've got to realize the problem, recognize the solution, receive the action, and the fourth step to a new life is to respond to the outcome. Salvation produces something in and through us. And therefore, it has an outcome. Look at what Paul says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A couple of key phrases that I want to point out here, key word, uh, for sure, is the word workmanship. In the original language, it's the Greek word poema, where we get the English word poem. But the idea carries that of a masterpiece. And, and Paul says that this workmanship, this masterpiece, is created how? In Christ Jesus, he says. In other words, we believe that life begins at the moment of conception. 
in your mother's womb. And God begins to knit you together in your mother's womb. And you are created by God and you bear the very image of God in your life. However, you are a sinner and you need to be redeemed. And when we come to faith in Jesus as Lord, Jesus says, guess what? You're born again. In other words, you're recreated. You're regenerated. You are saved. And that happens by faith in Jesus. And when we are recreated, when we are made new, when we are given new life, when we are called God's workmanship, His masterpiece comes whenever we have placed our faith in Jesus as Lord. Let me see if I can tie this together by going back to our opening illustration. Carson's car. See, Carson's car didn't need the engine fixed. It needed a whole new engine. It didn't need belts refurbished. It needed new belts, new hoses. In much the same way, we're not in need of a renovation of our heart, beloved. We're in need of a whole new heart. We're in need of new life. Because our old sinful life is broken and of the flesh and pursues the things of the flesh but only by giving a new heart, being made new in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, do we receive what we really need. And he says that we are saved for a purpose. We're given this new life, this new heart for a reason. He says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. In other words, we are saved to serve. We're saved to do good deeds. If it was just the point to be saved, beloved, the moment we bowed the knee to Jesus, he would take us home. But he leaves us here. For what reason? To expand the kingdom of God. To serve God. To share our light. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To serve other people that they might glorify God in heaven. We're saved for good works. What are the good works that Paul's talking about? I think there could be many good works. Let me just mention a few. I think one good work is simply by doing good deeds in our community. When we serve other people, we, we are letting our light shine. And what is it that Jesus says when we let our light shine? that others will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That certainly is a good work that Paul is talking about, right? What else? I think a good work is growing in spiritual character. When we grow in our faith, when we grow spiritually, when we strengthen our integrity, when we strengthen our character, and we make our lives align with that of Christ. Remember what Paul also says? He says that we are to work out our salvation. We are to work at becoming more like Christ. I think also gathering with God's people is a good work. You say, well, how is that a good work? Well, for those of you that are involved in small groups, you know this to be true. You've seen this good work happen in, in your small group. I see it happen in my small group. Whenever we gather around with God's people there, not only are we encouraged, but we are agents of encouragement. 
I have seen people be ministered to in powerful ways in group. And when you gather with God's people, it gives us an opportunity to do more good works. Right now, we have a team that is serving in Guatemala. Kathy FaceTimed me this morning, and they, they overlook the city surrounded by volcanoes with this beautiful lake in there. I mean, they're suffering for Jesus, right? I mean, and it's 60 degrees there. I'm going, y'all are, y'all are on vacation. You know, what are y'all talking about? But they're serving Jesus. They're serving an orphanage there. They're going to be able to build things. That is them going on mission. That is them doing good works. This past week, we had fun camp. We had 122 kids participate in fun camp. 61 volunteers helped make fun camp happen, which would be impossible without our children's minister, Alicia, and the fantastic team that worked together to put that on. But let me tell you what kind of good work that is. And by the way, you, church family, made it happen. When you give, you resource us. When you give snacks, we were able to distribute those. Let me tell you the power of fun camp. Their theme verse was 2 Timothy 1.7, which uh, basically says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of self-control. Well, a, a little boy that participated in fun camp worked hard to memorize that verse. The other day, Alicia received a text message from a mom who said that she, worked, she woke up and she was extremely anxious. And her seven-year-old son who participated in fun camp was able to say, but mom, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. And that young boy shone his light and his mother received encouragement. Beloved, that is just but one story of the impact of serving at fun camp and what you make possible in expanding the gospel. That's a good work. That's a good deed. Good works are also expressed in giving to the kingdom and advancing his kingdom. That's done through our time, our talent, and our treasures. But simply put, Paul is saying this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The good works don't do the saving, but the good works are proof that we are saved. And finally, Paul says we should walk in those good works. In other words, we should live our lives in such a way that it's obvious that we are followers of Christ. And that's the four steps to new life in Christ. That's the outcome. We realize the problem. We're separated from God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We recognize the solution. Oh, but God showed his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that we receive the action for you by grace through faith. You are saved so that we can then respond to the outcome and live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.